0: Today is a pretty big deal for two reasons. Actually, it's a really big deal. First of all, it's the kickoff for New Reads November 2020. As you know, we spend most of the year here on SSR taking a look at YA and middle grade books from decades gone by and discussing them from a contemporary perspective. For the third time, though, and for one month only, we will turn our attention to YA books published in the last year. Listeners, it's time for New Reads November 2020. I'm pretty pumped about the lineup for this year's New Reads November, but I will be honest, that is not the most important part of today. If you are listening to this in real time, then you already know that it's election day. If you haven't already, listeners, please, please vote. Our voices and the power of our votes have truly never been more important. Appropriately, the first book that's up for discussion in New Reads November 2020 is called The Voting Booth, and it's going to remind you of just how valuable our right to vote really is. It's also going to inspire you to exercise that right. That's my hope, anyway. The book was written by Brandy Colbert and published in July of this year. It tells the story of an election day from two perspectives. There's Marva, whose whole life has more or less been leading up to her first opportunity to go to the voting booth. And then there's Duke, who learned about the power of his voice from his older brother, Julian, who was killed in a drive-by shooting. When Duke shows up to vote and realizes that he's not actually registered, Marva takes it upon herself to drive him around town to make sure his voice is heard. They spend the whole day together. At first, it's just about getting Duke to vote, but before too long, it goes deeper than that. Marva confides in Duke about her rocky relationship with boyfriend Alec, who has revealed himself to be much more performative than authentic in his allyship. He's not even voting. Duke confides in Marva about Julian, who is a major activist in their community and whose shadow Duke feels he is constantly living in. And then there's Marva's cat Selma, also known as popular Instagram pet Eartha Kitty, who runs away halfway through the day. No one knows about Marva's secret life as a cat Instagrammer, but Duke helps her figure out how to reveal her true identity and organize a search party to find Selma and bring her home. The voting booth opens opportunities to discuss so many timely issues. Racism, representation, social media, voter suppression, respectful relationships, police brutality, activism, and, of course, voting. I am so grateful to my guest for joining me for this very well timed conversation. Today's guest is Kayla Turner, who you may know from Bookstagram as Book It Queen. Kayla currently works in higher education. She studied English literature and writing and Africana studies at University of Pittsburgh and also minored in dance pedagogy, which she says is one of the best decisions she's ever made. Kayla received her master's degree in student affairs and higher education from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. While Kayla is very passionate about education and running her bookstagram at Book it Queen, she also loves hula hooping, traveling, dancing, and plants. She lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thank you, Kayla, for being a guest on this week's episode of SSR. Thanks to all of you for following me on SSR's social media as well. I love sharing news about SSR, plus peeks at my life and reading and, of course, my Golden Retriever. If you're not following me already, come on over. SSR is at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the show on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. There's a smaller chat your Facebook group as well. Find that one by searching for The SSR Podcast Community. I can't wait to see you there. In addition to being a great way to connect with other readers and SSR fans, social media is a perfect platform for sharing about the show. If you love this episode, and I really think you will, take a screenshot of it and share it to your Instagram story, tagging Pod so I can see. I really appreciate you doing that. I also appreciate all of the ratings and reviews that you've left on iTunes. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the show and haven't left a five-star rating or review yet, I would love it if you would consider it. At this point, I know I'm a little bit of a broken record with this, but it really does make a difference. You can also make a difference for SSR by shopping for podcast merch at www.ssrpodcast.com shop. There are such fun bookish goodies there for you. SSR stickers, bookmarks, tote bags, and t-shirts. You are going to love them. Plus, when you purchase SSR swag, you are supporting the podcast in the process. One more great way to support the podcast, Patreon. Patreon is a platform that connects you with the creators of your favorite content so you can support them with your dollars. As you may know, SSR is an independent podcast, which means I don't receive financial backing from a larger organization. For this reason, I am so incredibly appreciative of the community we have over on Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. You can join that community for as little as a dollar per month. Different exclusive rewards are available for you at each level of sponsorship, Things like SSR swag, bonus episodes, newsletters, on-demand book recommendations, and more. Visit www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or go to www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page for more information. Last thing before we get into the episode, as you're shopping for audiobooks this fall, please check out Libro FM. Libro.fm allows you to support independent bookstores instead of giant companies. The audiobooks that you get from Libro.fm are exactly the same as the ones you would purchase from big corporations, and they're the same price too. Plus, SSR listeners can cash in on a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm—that's L-I-B-R-O.fm—and use code SSRpod when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Now let's go to the show and also vote. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Allie Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Kayla. Welcome to SSR. Hi, Allie. Thank you for having me. Okay. So listeners, we got to have a little bit of a timestamp moment here. So this episode is dropping on Tuesday, November 3rd. It is the first episode of New Reads November, which is super exciting. But on another note, it's also election day. And we are recording eight days prior to election day on Monday, October 26th. So um, I mean... Who knows? Who knows how everybody's going to be feeling? Who knows the situation you as a listener are going to be in as you're listening to us? I will say that if you're out and about on Tuesday, November third, when this episode drops, I hope that you are out voting, making a plan to vote. But I did think it was really important to timestamp this episode because it's a really like time sensitive conversation that we're about to have about a book called The
1: Voting Booth. Anything you want to add to that, Kayla? No, hopefully you've made a plan or you've already voted at this point. Like, can't stress that (laughs) enough. But yeah, I think you're you're hitting it right on. Don't know how we're going to be feeling, but you know what? We're diving in. We're going in. I'm
0: hoping that
1: I am
0: eating something really delicious and like maybe not watching Returns until maybe like 9 p.m., And then aggressively watching Returns from 9pm until probably two weeks after that. That's sort of what I'm hoping to be doing on November 3rd. But really, who knows?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hoping to maybe keep myself busy that's how i stop myself from constantly looking at something that i know is going to bring like you know raise my heartbeat and and all of those good things i remember a couple years ago like i had gathered with friends i don't think that i'm going to be in the mood to like do that this year um i think that it's just going to be me and my partner here and we're going to periodically check but like i said i'm going to like probably do some things to keep myself busy that evening
0: Yeah, my mom's friend told me, and I share this because maybe it will be helpful for listeners who are having different kinds of feelings as they're tuning in on November 3rd, Um, her friend has this whole plan worked out. So she kind of has all of these like different layers of things that she's going to do. So she has like a book that she's like saving up, like a fun book that she saved to read that night. And then once she doesn't feel like reading that or is distracted, then she has a show that she hasn't started binging yet that she's going to start. And then when she gets distracted from that, like she has all these different steps of things. So there's a suggestion, coping mechanisms, all that to say, we're thinking about all of you today. I hope that you have already voted or that you're making a plan to vote right now or later today. And in the meantime, I hope that you enjoy this conversation about a very timely book called, as I said, The Voting Booth. It was written by Brandy Colbert and published in July of this year. And Kayla, I'd love for you to share why this was your pick for this New Reads November episode.
1: When I was when I looked up this book one, I have to say that I definitely saw it on my feed in Instagram. And so I was reading a little bit about what other bookstagrammers were saying. I think also this conversation just around voting and advocacy, social justice. Those were themes that were very important to me. And so when I saw this particular book pop up, I was like, okay, yeah this this has to be the book that that I read um, and discuss. So I was pretty excited about it for, you know, like I said, all of the themes that had, that had popped up and what other people were saying. And when I read it, I was like, yep, made the right decision. Yeah, I agree.
0: So this book is about two 18-year-olds getting ready to vote in their first election who are coming at the election from two very different perspectives. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to share, like, what was your level of political interest or engagement when you were 18? Was this something that you were into? Did you connect with these characters or at least with Marva who is like the more politically enthusiastic character in this book? Do you have any memories of whether or not you were involved at this time of
1: your life? I do. And it's funny because I was probably more like Duke. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Honestly, I appreciate that. Yeah, (laughs) you know, but I was more like Duke at at that time in my life. Like I knew the importance of voting. Um, That's something that my, more so my dad and I had talked a lot about. We talked about, right, the history and gaining the right to vote, voter suppression, things that had happened to my particular family members and older family members um, who didn't take advantage of the of the right to vote. And so I knew the importance of it, but was I like steadfast and going in head first like Marva? No, I think that that point came for me probably not until I was in graduate school. Before, I would say like college and before, I was like, I'm good on politics. Like I will do the things that I need to do. Um, And I understand how these things affect me, but it's just very messy. Now, the messy part of politics has not changed. (laughs) No way, no way. (laughs) However, my attitude and outlook towards it have. I understand a little bit more of the role that I personally play, because I know that in talking with, with older family members. A narrative I hear a lot is, oh, my vote doesn't count. It really doesn't matter. Um, and I think that that's something that has been definitely passed on to to younger generations, unfortunately. Um, and I don't believe that to be true. I do believe that every vote matters and every vote counts someone asked the question, why would they work so hard to suppress it if it didn't matter? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that I became more like Marva, um, going back to your original question, when I was about in graduate school. And honestly, at that time, there were, there was a lot happening, right? So 2012, we came off of Trayvon Martin, and that was that was my senior year in college, and then we had moved into Mike Brown around 2014 so there was a lot of civil unrest, um, a lot of talk more about okay. Who are we, you know, voting in? Who are we electing into our offices? Who are going to help our marginalized and minoritized populations? So that's when it came about for me. Thank you for sharing
0: that experience and and the honesty, I think, um, about sort of the evolution of your interest in politics. I have a few like sort of anecdotes that I'll share about my interest in politics growing up. So I have this very clear memory in the 2000 election, I was in this program in my elementary school. And... We had, we organized like a mock election among the whole elementary school. And we built like cardboard voting booths. I think they were just out of like refrigerator boxes. So the title of this book made me laugh. And I think it was like a contest there. We split into two groups. And each group had to decorate a different one, you know, there are these two refrigerator boxes. And it was like, which team can make the prettier voting booth out of a refrigerator box. But then we also did vote as a school, we did a a Bush versus Gore vote in 2000. And I remember taking it very seriously. And I was 10. And I remember going to the school library and printing out like, Dozens of pages. I mean, this was very wasteful and bad for the environment. But I printed out like dozens <laughs> of pages of information. Who knows what website it was from in two thousand about Bush's position on X versus Gore's position on X. And I acted like I understood it. Like it was all, I mean, it was like policy speak. Like I probably wouldn't understand some of it even now. But my parents come from two different political positions. And so I really like I wanted to understand as best as I could. So that was me at ten. I don't remember who I chose to vote for, if I'm being completely honest, Um, (laughs) which I regret. I wish I knew. And then um, in 2008, I started college and I went to college in Washington, D.C. And I remember being very important to me that I registered to vote in D.C., which is in hindsight really dumb because I'm from Pennsylvania. And so I should have voted in Pennsylvania, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) But I really wanted to vote in person. Like I was like, I want to go in. I don't want to vote absentee. So I voted for the first time in D.C. for President Barack Obama, and I was writing for the school paper at the time, and so they sent me out to go to some, like, RNC party to cover it. I'm, like, 17 years old. Um, I had no business being there. I was wearing, like, my mom's pencil skirt and these ridiculous heels, and I was like, oh, hello, Republicans. Like, I did not vote for your candidate. And then as soon as they called it, it was at this fancy hotel. As soon as they called the election, I, like, took off, like, ran out of this hotel, ran to the White House, and it was just this insane scene. I mean, everybody's seen the photos. And I'll never forget that night. And I think, you know, spending four years in DC sort of, in some ways, it made me more frustrated with politics. I went into college thinking that I wanted to be a political journalist. And I would say there were parts of that experience that turned me off of that field. (laughs) but It also did teach me sort of about like, the importance of knowing how to do the right kind of homework. Mm-hmm. Um, it taught me the importance of voting down ballot and not just focusing on who's going to be in the White House. So yeah, it was it was an interesting experience and one that I won't forget. And um, I don't I mean look the last the last twelve years have been interesting politically and I think it's great that it, I love to see the way that people are using social media to like educate people about just the importance of voting. That's been really exciting over the last couple of months, particularly. And I think especially with other dealing with, with the pandemic and people like not being sure how to vote, I would say my biggest takeaway right now is just like, I'm so happy to see that people are understanding that like the most important thing is having your voice be heard. And that's really what I took from this book as well.
1: For sure. For sure. And I think it's, it's funny you had mentioned in the, I think I was in fourth grade for the 2000 election. Um, and the, and here's how I know that we were in, in kind of different mindsets. I remember being excited to learn about, um, it was social science class, right? And I remember excited to be learning about the political parties because I I associated them with parties. And I was like, <laughs> okay, there's a blue party and there's a red party. And like, when I see the conventions, right? There's the balloons and the confetti. And so in my you know nine-year-old mind, I'm like, it's a party and I get to choose which party <laughs> I'm going to go to. Because <laughs> like Everybody wants me at their party. <laughs> um, but we did a mock election too. And to this day, I don't remember if I voted for Gore or Bush very much like you. And then I think also like the the political journalist piece, like take out the political part. I, w- I was actually just having this conversation, but I was like, if, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing right now, which is I work with college students, I would probably be a journalist of some sort, but bringing it back to, you know, working with college students, this is a time, like this is an environment where I'm constantly surrounded by students who are one, Soon as we came back to campus, our students were working to get, to get people registered for for voting and making sure that they understood all of the guidelines and policies that that come into play whenever you are you know if you're a non-Pennsylvania um, resident and you're voting here, um, or if you are a Pennsylvania resident and like what that means for you. So I've been very pleased to see our students very getting it like very much getting involved with that, showing up to programs, standing outside on the sidewalks, just being in the midst of everything and willing to to educate their peers on how to make their voice heard. And so I think that that's something that definitely came through. It's like I almost imagine the character of Marva whenever she comes to college, right? So, you know, in the book, she's talking about what institution that she she's going to go to. What I see on my college campus here is, uh, you know, little Marva's running around. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'd love to see Marva in college. Like, I think she's going to be such a joiner. She's going to be such a leader. (laughs)
1: People are not going to know what hit them when Marva gets to college. No, they're not. And I think that like, again, I think she is just so, so steadfast. And she knows what she knows what it is that she wants. And then when she realizes that she she, that she doesn't want something, which is I see, I think we see that and like in her relationship, she knows how to like step back and be like no I can you know redirect this and I love that about her yeah
0: I love that about her too one thing just sort of generally that I wanted to note about the book that I think is worth noting up top is that there's not a single reference to a year in the book there's not a single reference to a political party anywhere and there's not a single reference to even a fictional candidate which I really appreciated because one thing that I was thinking about especially before I started reading it was like okay, this was published in July 2020, which I think is a really smart move, obviously, because it's really fantastic for kids to see a book about like a very real issue out on shelves. They could pick it up in the summertime. Hopefully a lot of them did. Hopefully a lot of 18 year olds read it and reminded themselves that they had to register to vote. But I had this moment of like, oh, I hope it doesn't feel too restricted to 2020. And I hope it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. like it's isolating readers who might come from one particular political background over another. Um, I just, I didn't want it to feel like it was locked in time in any sort of way. And I loved that it, it was not any of those things. Like it was really, I mean, I can guess, I can guess what Marva's political leanings are, but I think that it was a really smart move on the author's part, not to spell that out too explicitly, because I think it allows readers to sort of come to their own conclusions and do their own research rather than alienating them by dropping names of political parties, because I do think all too often, like teenagers, for better or for worse, come to their politics based on where their parents lie on the political Mm -hmm. spectrum. And I think that if there were explicit references to certain parties in this book, and those parties maybe didn't necessarily align with where a reader had grown up, in terms of like their parents affiliation, maybe they would immediately like shut themselves off to the very important broader lessons that Marva is trying to share with Duke and in turn with
1: readers for sure for sure i thought about that too in i think it was brilliantly done cuz it it doesn't take the focus away from the 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 issue right at hand which is voting and To me, I think that like, yes, voting was the core, but then there were branches of like, okay, all of these loopholes we have to go through in order to vote. Um, I think at the beginning, Marva thought that it was voter suppression. But again, it goes right back to the loophole of like, okay, he just wasn't, you know, Duke wasn't registered in the right borough or the right county. I think it If any particular party, if any particular candidate was named, I think you're right, it would have, you know, nailed it down to a particular time. And so if you're reading this in the future, would young readers still find it, you know, as relevant if it couldn't be molded and then fit into different election times? But I think, again, it goes back to like that whole registration of getting registered to vote and the importance behind it and the, the right of being able to vote. And so I did appreciate that as well of like not being too specific. But I, I also like the 2020 vibes, her having like this whole Instagram around her. I was like, OK, yeah, that feels that feels very like 2020. <laughs> I loved it. Eartha Kitty was so 2020
0: and I loved it. It was such a twist um, on Marva's personality which is otherwise like very conservative and sort of just the way that she handles herself she's so serious but then she has this like massive cat Instagram on the side
1: (laughs) it was it was random but I loved it at the same time like it didn't fit what we were shown as readers of Marva but then we're also like we see later that like People that knew Marva also didn't expect it of her. And I think that it was a different a different side. And she was so focused on people not knowing that she was the one who was running this Instagram. But then there's also like, there's this very soft piece in there of like, yeah, I run this Instagram with this massive following. But like, this is also my cat. This is someone, this is a, a you know, a pet that I kind of rely on emotionally. And I'm missing that that piece of my life right now. Yeah. And I I mean, as my
0: Instagram followers will know, I deeply rely on my dog, Irv. And I think a lot of my followers also rely on him in some weird way because most people like come for Irv and stay for (laughs) Irv and occasionally (laughs) listen to the podcast. So I get it. I mean, wish that Irv had an Instagram. That was a huge mistake on my part, but I think that it was handled really well because I, I don't love when a book leans like too heavily on modern technology. Like I think it would have been super annoying if we were constantly getting, I don't know, I can picture in some other book, there being a lot of inset captions in like a different font with like hashtags every time she posted for Eartha Kitty. I can see that happening and we didn't get that. Like there were a couple of sort of vague references to the things that she was posting but I didn't need to see everything spelled out. I didn't need Marvett to be speaking in hashtags and we didn't get that. So I thought that um, the author struck the balance really well.
1: For sure, for sure. It added to the cute element of the book. And I think that like the balance of like cute, but like, no, we're fighting for rights here <laughs> was also just so well done. Um, I didn't feel like one overtook the other. Like I got, I got both elements of it and I was here for both of those elements.
0: For sure. To that point, I found a great review of the book in the New York Times. It was written by Nicola Yoon, another fantastic YA author. And I will make sure to include a link to it in the show notes for this episode. One of the things that Nicola Yoon says is, in many ways, this novel is perfect for the times we're in. How better to get young people involved in the voting process than with a book set on election day featuring two incredibly charming main characters exercising their civic duties while simultaneously falling
1: in love. It's funny. I read that review and I was like, that perfectly captures it. Like you don't even realize it, but like the book, when I got done with it, I was like, wait a minute. That was literally a day. Yeah. (laughs) This entire book was the span of a day. I was like, this is a lot to happen in a day. But also I think that that was significant because we didn't need a span of time for all of this to happen. Right? Like, again, we were focused on the voting portion and then we had this underlying tone of finding earth a kitty and that emotional attachment and making sure that 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 piece was restored and so i was like this is an adventurous day like i'm trying to have a day like this maybe not on election day like i think that that was <laughs> maybe that no, would i be need my snacks i need my snacks on election day <laughs> exactly maybe that would be a little bit too stressful but i think the yeah like right we have we have some underlying romance here we have eartha kitty and then we have like you know we are going to get duke to vote we don't know where it's going to be we don't know when it's going to happen but it's going to happen today today um interestingly i
0: found A Q&A with the author brandy colbert who said that this was the first of her books she's written several other novels this was the first one that she actually outlined because it took place over the course of one day and she's never done that before She normally calls herself a pantser versus a planner, but because the novel took place in such a short period of time, she was very cognizant of the fact that like, she didn't want the characters to either be like moving too quickly for the day or sort of getting too lost in each other because they had one day. So I thought that was interesting just from a writing perspective that she handled it differently, knowing that she was really covering just a few short hours in these characters' lives.
1: Yeah. I mean we've named a couple of concepts at this point right Brandy's ability to like focus on three issues her ability to write this novel that spans the course of a day like we talk about these and we're like yeah like she did that but I I think you bring up a good point when you're when you're talking about it from a writer's perspective as someone who studied writing in college like that's not an easy thing to do that is not easy whatsoever and I felt like it was executed flawlessly. Again, I can't I can't say enough how brilliantly it was done, like putting these elements together. It's enough to right, do one of them, but then you brought in multiple different things that happened and you made them meld together just so seamlessly.
0: Well, it's really easy to do it poorly. I think, you know, you and I have both read enough books probably yeah. <laughs> to know that you can write a book set in a short period of time in a really effective way or in a really ineffective way. And I think that Brandy Colbert did a very effective job with this one. Um, and I felt like it was really well paced. And she did an interesting thing too, where throughout the book, there are these these sections called like about Julian or about mm-hmm. Ida or about dad. And so while the majority of the chapters were told Either from Marva or Duke's perspective, sort of in real time, every once in a while, the author would take us out of that real time narrative with a chapter that was dedicated specifically to one of the secondary characters, most often one of the family members of either Duke or Marva. And so it was sort of like a really nice way to take us out of that, not even 24 hour period, probably 12 hour period, that we're actually spending the time with Duke and Marva so that we could get the context that we needed for their lives. It also sort of like, I don't know, shook things up a little bit because it is easy for a book set in a short period of time to get a little bit boring, even on an exciting day like this. So I Mm -hmm. liked the way that she did that, but it didn't feel confusing. Sometimes I think too many flashbacks can be confusing. It was all very clear and just really nicely done.
1: For sure. And I think that they, they elicited a lot of emotion. I think that we've we've seen books where I, I know, I'll speak for myself, where like I've read books and the, there's a secondary character or there's a character that's introduced and, and I'm questioning like, okay, so like, what was what was the point of this character? I'm trying to like piece it all together. And that's not something that we had to do. Like when we think about like, Duke's older brother, who was also an activist, Julian. Like, I think that that was the one that elicited a lot of emotion from me because at some point I was like, okay, Julian is no longer here, and so I'm getting these flashbacks of what Duke is thinking about and how he's connecting the past to the present and what that means for him in that context. And I think that the one that really struck me was the um, the incident in which they were pulled over by the police. And he's and Julian, I think Duke is a little boy at this point, and he's telling them, like, "Don't ever do that again, right? You don't talk, you don't you listen, and you do exactly what I tell you to do." And we're we're brought to the present time where. Marva and and Duke are pulled over by a Latinx police officer. And I think the correlation of those two was just very interesting. And like I said, like, for me, that elicited a lot of emotion. I was like, okay, I think I understand this a little bit more. But I also, I think a piece of that was like going from these about sections, but then going back to first person narrative. I think that the first person narrative and the, the alternation of that also really like, sealed the deal for this book for me.
0: Yeah, it was it was interesting because when I was going back through the portions of the book that I highlighted, like just trying to make sure that I had some of my favorite parts pulled out in case I wanted to drop some quotes in our conversation today, so many of the quotes that I pulled out were from the Marva sections. But as you said, I feel like I was more emotionally affected by a lot of the Duke sections. It's almost as if like the Duke sections weren't maybe quite as quotable as the Marva sections. <laughs> But like if I take a step back and I think of the big picture of, as you mentioned, like this relationship that he is still kind of cultivating with his brother, even though his brother is gone, like he's trying to figure out what his relationship is to Julian's memory, what his relationship is to the things that Julian was passionate about. Like he's still learning from Julian and trying to figure out what his role in his family is. And Julian taught him a lot. And I was very, I was just like very touched by that experience that he was having like navigating all of that throughout the book and then of course like coming to understand the importance of making sure that his voice be heard on election day like, I don't know I I felt as though Duke's sections were more affecting for me emotionally but for some reason like when i'm looking through a lot of the notes that i took
1: it's a lot of marva speak right i think because marva was just dropping nuggets along the way i think that she's very mature for her her age but then i think we also not that marva doesn't have experience i think that their experiences are just different when you look at deuce experiences like he's not saying anything but it's the things that have either happened or the things that he's either doing because i also think about his relationship with Julian, right? And I also I think about it as like a tether. Julian feeding into him and then Duke feeding into his sister, right? And how that cultivates at the end, um, whenever he's defending her with with the parents. And so like their relationship might have been different, but I think that he's taking pieces from that relationship and then trying to be a we'll say quote better big brother in how he protects, but also like helps to advocate for his sister.
0: Yeah, that cut me cut me deep when Ida, his younger sister, was like, I know that you idolized Julian so much, and you talk about how great Julian was, and everybody talks about how great Julian was, but like, you're my Julian. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> uh. like you're gonna Uh, do this now (laughs) right now the book's almost over something that actually just occurred to me does the phrase black lives matter appear in this book at all like specifically
1: i don't think so i don't recall at all and i think that again like that's just part of the geniusness of like it doesn't need to be said i think that it's i think that marva her family duke are an illustration of that but you're right i i hadn't thought of that and i can't Think of a single occurrence where it, it pops up.
0: Well, because the the activism that Julian and his friends seem to represent feels to me like a very obvious representation of the Black Lives Matter movement that we see in our real life in 2020. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't remember if they actually used those three words. I don't think they do, which it's probably a good move in terms of not alienating people, although I very much wish that we didn't live in a world where that would alienate anyone. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: That's, that's a whole other
0: conversation. But I, when I think about it, it is interesting that that she didn't choose to use that phrase anywhere.
1: It's interesting, the the contrast, right, of saying and doing. I firmly believe that your voice is powerful, right? There's breath that comes out from your voice whenever you're speaking. And so we know that breath is, you know, Breath is life. And so there's a lot of different elements that can be conveyed in your voice, right? Inflection, emotion, all of those things are coming out whenever whenever you're speaking. But then there's also a contrast of doing. And I think that in writing this, Brandy does, she shows and writes about a lot of things that are being done. So we have, I kind of think about it as like Marva, who is the, she's doing a lot of things, right? But she's also speaking a lot of things where Duke is saying less, but doing more of the things. And I think that an interesting contrast and balance between those things of like, you you need both, right? You can't just be saying what you believe, but but not acting upon it. But then you also need to be telling the people and those who surround you what it is that you believe, not just doing it, right? Um, Doing it in silence, if you will. And so I think that for me, that's an interesting contrast. And that's an underlying theme of like, you know, activism takes both of those things. I think that's really well said. And it's interesting, because I feel as though Duke
0: absorbed all of this. He, he feels things that he believes and the things that he knows to be right so deeply in his bones because he grew up with Julian as a role model. But it's almost like he doesn't know how to channel it. Like he, he lives in this house where voting is considered really important. His mom takes it really seriously. She wants him to use his vote to honor his older brother because his older brother, I don't think that we've mentioned this, was killed in a drive-by shooting. And so his family takes takes this very seriously and very personally but it's almost as though like he doesn't really know how to take these feelings and these convictions that he has from his brain and put them out into the world and marva is the one who sort of helps him figure out how to use that muscle and actually like use the resources that are available to him because even though his mom is pushing him to vote like he he's just like not quite there yet which i think is fair and that's true for a lot of teens like you can know that your parents want you to do something and you can know that that's the right thing to do but sometimes you need like a little extra push
1: and for Duke Marva was that extra push in this book definitely definitely I think that he just needed to discover and see some things on his own. Even though Marva was there, I think that having a peer is definitely different than having a parent or someone who is, you know, an older figure to you with you. I think that that just has like a, a different different vibe to, to that relationship, right? She does kind of have a vibe where she's like, no, we're going to make this happen and I'm going to do these things for you. But they, like to her being a peer, there's only but so much that she can do. Like there's limits to that. He has to
0: do it. She can't place his vote for him, but she is going to do whatever the (laughs) hell she can to make sure he does it. So let's get into that a little bit. I loved the opening paragraph of this book. I guess it was actually the first two paragraphs. It says, I don't like it when people make hyperbolic statements. So I really mean it when I say I've been waiting for this day my entire life, November 3rd, election day, but not just any election day. It's the first one that I'll be able to vote in, finally. I related to Marva so much in this moment, picturing my 18-year-old self, like walking my ass into like a high school gym in Washington, DC, being like, I don't need to vote in my home swing state of Pennsylvania. I'll just vote here. Here I am. So excited to vote in person. So I felt that very hard. And so she like goes and she's like absorbing the whole experience of voting. She says, I step into the booth and take a deep breath to orient myself in this moment, but also to take in every part of the voting process. So she's like filled out practice ballots, like She knows what she's doing, which I respect. And then she is, like, getting ready to leave the polling place. And she sees this guy who seems to, like, have messed up his voter registration. And so she, like, marches up to him and she... Like, we're going to figure this out. I'm going to help you. And she says, listen, we have to try to figure this out. I didn't spend months helping people register and educating them on the ballot measures only to see someone throw away their vote. (laughs) Like, she's like, you are my personal cause. One vote lost is one vote too many. Like, let's figure out where you messed up your
1: registration and let's get you voting. Yeah. She could have easily just walked out and be like, hey, I did my deed. (laughs) <laughs> nice. I did what I came to do, mission accomplished. But that goes to show you that her mission and her mind is so much bigger than just herself. Her mission includes, right, all of that canvassing that she did, helping people get registered. And now she's presented like she's like, this is my opportunity, right? Like her spidey senses are going off. She's like, there is someone who is here at the at the voting booth who is in need. This is it. And it's not even like it's my time to shine. She's like, we need this system to work. I need you to vote. I think that there's like no selfish nature about it. I think that again it goes back to just her her maturity and her mindset and even her age where she's like this is way bigger than just me. Yeah, and I think it goes back to our
0: conversation way at the beginning of this recording about how like truly every single vote counts because you could make the argument that at this point, as you mentioned, like Marva has been canvassing for months. She's really put in the work. Hopefully, her efforts have resulted in dozens, hundreds of people voting because she's inspired them. And she could have walked away and said, like you just mentioned, A, I voted, so check. But also, B, like I spent all of this time. I'm sure that my efforts have resulted in all of these other votes in my community. But that's not what she did. She's like, oh no, this one vote is still important to me, especially because it's somebody who's my age. And I like want people to be engaged in this process, even when they're 18. Like I think she wanted Duke to feel the excitement about it that she did. And it would have been really easy for either of them to get discouraged, but she takes it upon herself even though she doesn't know him listeners, like they've never seen each other. (laughs) She's like, okay, get in my car. We're gonna go figure out what happened. And basically like his parents had recently been through a divorce. And so he thought that he had registered at the wrong parent's house. And I have to say that this whole situation like triggered so many of my personal anxieties because I get really anxious, not just about like voter registration specific stuff, but like anytime I have to go through any sort of like official process, I get so anxious thinking that I'm going to show up and I did the whole thing wrong. And it's because I am like, so type a and such a planner that for me i'm like i know i've checked all the boxes i know that i've done my very best but what if it wasn't enough and i get there and i look stupid and I felt that for Duke, I could like feel my embarrassment on his behalf, like thinking that he'd gone through all of the measures to make sure that he was registered. I mean, he like had this whole conversation with his mom in the morning about how he was covered and he was going to go vote on his way to school. And I just felt for him because I was like, that is such a terrible feeling to show up in this very official
1: setting. And look dumb. Yeah. That is that is definitely a real feeling. I remember having my little um voter registration like ID card. I remember getting that in the mail. And I remember going to go vote in in 2012. And I I think I misplaced it somehow, some way, and I was like, Oh gosh, are they gonna turn me away? This is gonna be so embarrassing, right? Because at that point in 2012, I remember dressing up. So it's like i didn't have to to. (laughs) (laughs) i'm here (laughs) i literally wore sweats and a t-shirt to class every day but that tuesday (laughs) um, it was an outfit (laughs) i dressed up and i was like i could show up here and they could turn me away and like i don't i have no idea like i don't know if it's here on campus with me i don't know if it's back at my parents house like what is what is going to happen and then you get there and they're like oh yeah it's fine we see you right here in the book and you're like okay, I can breathe easier. Then you get to the machine, and I, I'll i admit, I look at that machine sometimes, and I'm like, okay, just make sure you don't hit the wrong one. Right. Oh, <laughs> totally. Totally.
0: <laughs> it's terrifying. It's like, with great power comes great responsibility. Do mm-hmm. not hit the wrong button.
1: Which is, it, it like... I don't think that that it's easy to do, but I think that it's easy to do whenever you're nervous. and right, you you're you did all this work to to become educated, right. And there's also that that social stigma piece that that we both alluded to. So the feeling of like that nervousness is real,
0: yeah. and I think that Marva taught me a couple of things about the importance of different kinds of civic engagement and civic education, like the fact that she drives Duke to, the other polling place that she thinks might be the right spot given his dad's address because originally he thought he was registered at his mom's address so she drives him to another place at a church that's in his like dad's neighborhood it turns out that he's not registered but marvin knows enough to ask for a provisional ballot for him like she knows that that's your next step she knows that he should be able to vote anyway like she knows everything that you're supposed to do like she's prepared for all possible scenarios on this day and I have to say like I would not know what to recommend to somebody in that situation if I were there on election day and it got me thinking like I'm so passionate about helping other people make a plan to vote I've tried to use my platform to encourage people to vote throughout this whole election and campaign season but it's also really important to like know your shit and to like actually be able to give people hard facts and to like ask specifically for things that are going to help people exercise their right to vote if you are in that situation. Because too often it's a lack of information for all of us and like Mm -hmm. a lack of time that maybe we've taken to learn these details that keep people who deserve and need to vote from doing that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's, it goes back to what you said you mentioned earlier, right? It's about knowing those resources. Those resources are there, whether they are, we'll say, advertised or maybe not advertised. That's definitely something that is there and that we need to educate ourselves on. And that when I listen to the college students on, on my campus and they're talking about, right, these processes, like, I know the basics of it and I know the fundamentals of it, but when they go into, right, like all of the the things that you need to do if you are not a resident here or, right, if you weren't registered at some point in time, all the deadlines and all of that, I'm like, this is a lot to remember. And I, I know I keep saying it and I keep going back to it, but I'm like, go ahead, Marva. I know you better do your thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One of the things we haven't touched on at all yet is marva's relationship with alec who is the boyfriend Mm. that she's had for two and a half years i think we're both rolling our eyes a little bit at this moment because he sucks spoiler alert and they end up breaking up by the end of the book yep but when we meet marva she is sort of beginning to question her relationship with alec they had kind of bonded early in their relationship because she saw him commenting on a lot of like activist Instagram accounts and like political Instagram accounts. So they seem to align on a lot of values. And I thought that was such an interesting commentary on the way that even teenagers like get to know each other now. I mean, they go to the same high school, but it wasn't until she saw him commenting on certain Instagram feeds that she was like, Oh, maybe we could get along. But over the course of their relationship and particularly drawing closer to the actual election, he's revealing himself to be much less authentically invested in the election than she thought that he was. She says to Duke, Alec isn't voting. Like he's registered and filled out his sample ballot and he's still not voting. After months of campaigning with me and discussing how important this election is. And it's not like he only cared about it after we were dating. He was really into politics before we ever got together. That's a big reason I started liking him. He's suddenly concerned about voting in a two party system. Also important to note that, in case, I don't know that we've come out and said this, but Marva and Duke are both Black and Alec is white. And that's a really interesting dynamic between the two of them. We get a flashback to their first trip to his grandparents' like ranch or farm or something. When they first started dating. And as I was beginning to read it, I was like, these white grandparents are going to be awful to her. And I'm dreading it. And she didn't do that, which I appreciated because it would have been really easy for just like the white grandparents to be terrible to her. Right. It was actually Alec, who she had thought was like so progressive and empathetic and educated about her experience, who revealed himself to be. Really, just like lacking empathy for her experience with something very specific, which is the way that her family celebrated Juneteenth, and he basically was just like, "Well, why would you have to celebrate Juneteenth separate from the Fourth of July?" And like, even his grandparents are like, "Oh, this is really interesting. Like, tell us more." And he just like is not interested in hearing it. And that was her earliest red flag that maybe they weren't going to understand each other. But they they kept dating for like two and a half years after that.
1: Yeah, I think that that's another role that social media plays in this is that and this is this is also what kind of feels 2020 I'm, I'm about to sound like very shady but i i mean this i think that it presents such a stage for performative allyship mm-hmm. um, which is something that i've seen way too much this year that it's it's easy to be kind of reeled into that you're like right okay He's doing this. He's, che- all right, right, check. It's almost like she has a checklist. All right, he follows these accounts. Yeah. Check. He likes these photos. Check. He's bookmarking. You know, I think she would have to have access to his Instagram for that. But you know what? Whatever. He's Marva bookmarking. Mike, might have access. <laughs> I and would not I be love, shocked, actually. <laughs> I'd love her for that. If she does, like, good for you. But she's looking at these things that she can easily will say record right or that is evidence of something that she really wants to believe and then to find out right right you can follow all types of like activity online but until you talk to that person um, and you have those experiences with them you're not going to really know the authentic person and she was showed a piece of that, I think, that deep down and I think also just, you know, with her being a little bit young, maybe she she wasn't ready for that. She didn't want to believe that. She believed that they could progress past that. But it's interesting how they kind of did like this, this 180, they came, or more like a 360, they came back to a piece of where they started. Yeah, they were able to move past some things. But I think when I was reading, and this is just my my 29 year old self, I was like, I'm not fooled by Alec. I can see right through you the first page the first time that I read about you. Yeah, you're not the one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think most people can relate to that sort of relationship experience to some extent like I think especially Mm -hmm. in your early years of dating we've all had moments where like we wanted to believe that somebody was the person that either they presented themselves as or the person that we just sort of like decided they were even Mm -hmm. if there were red flags demonstrating otherwise and then you have this terrible reckoning where you're like oh oh like I've I've sort of mentally been your champion, like, I've been arguing with myself on your behalf, like, it's not even that you're speaking out for this person with other people, like, you're defending them to yourself, because you want things to work. And at a certain point, that doesn't work anymore. And that's what happens to Marva. But the stakes are very high, because Alec is not, first of all, he's not doing what he said that he would do, which was vote and be involved in a process that's very important to her and that she understood to be very important to him as well. Like they'd invested all of this time in campaigning together, but he is also being disrespectful and exercising his white privilege in a really gross way. At the end of the book, when they break up, she says, and don't you care about anything? Alec, these issues affect me and a lot of the people I know and love. I don't have the luxury of just not voting and you shouldn't take advantage of the fact that you do. And in that moment, she is basically saying like, this is your privileged ass, like not giving a fuck about the fact that people who look like me have to care about stuff like police brutality and must be nice. But like, you're supposed to be my advocate and my ally and you just are too lazy and like too busy over there pontificating about the two party system when you have (laughs) an actual ability to like make a difference. And so I thought that was really well done. I think the contrast between
1: Alec and Duke was really well written. For sure. For sure. And I I also think about like that quote, even though it comes at the end of the book, I think back to where she had uh, Marva gone on like a college visit. And she had a very like she experienced a racist incident where she was very impacted by that. And Alec is like, yeah, I'm still going there, Um, and, you know, they had this agreement that, you know, we weren't going to go there, we were going to go to another college together, but he's already made up his mind, and then now, after the fact, he is, now he's sharing that with Marva, and I think that that is, that's another interesting, like, red flag that popped up, but, like, things still, think that like that wasn't it that wasn't the thing that like spilled over for them where they were like this isn't going to work and I thought that that was very interesting to think about that as far as like the future right we're we're still caught up in this day but like we're getting some pieces from the past we're also getting some some inklings for the future and that was just another point where he just wasn't able to show that empathy. Maybe he was able to show it. Maybe he didn't want to. I kind of struggle with that, um, especially when I'm thinking about someone like the mind of a 17, 18-year-old.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like the college conversation was when the their relationship had first started to derail because they had agreed that they were only going to apply to colleges together. She had taken a few HBCUs off her list knowing that he couldn't apply there. I think she had also taken a few like women's colleges off her list knowing that he couldn't go there. Um, And then to see that he was applying to a college that she had explicitly said, like she felt wildly uncomfortable with and had actually committed to like never going back to that town. She was like, I'm sorry, I clearly missed something here. And then contrasting even that very specific college conversation with the way that Duke handles it. Like when Duke meets Marva's dad and his dad starts asking him about college stuff, Duke hasn't even really thought about college very much. And he's open to hearing what her dad has to say. Her dad went to Morehouse and he's like, I think you'd be a great Morehouse man. And (laughs) Duke was like, oh, like, thanks so much. That's so nice. And he starts thinking about it differently. So I think just the way that these two 18 year old dudes approach life is very different. And I think that Brandy Colbert did a great job of illustrating how they both operate for better or for worse. And I think Duke is um, clearly a better match for Marva. And though we don't know this for sure at the end of the book, I have a feeling that they have a nice future together. I think it's also worth noting, like, we don't know who wins the election Mm -hmm. that is happening on this day. They do decide to watch the returns together. They go back to Marva's house, which is super cute, I thought. And they just kind of decide like, oh, no matter what, we got this. Like, I think that's the last phrase, last sentence in the book. And I appreciated that like sitting here as we speak eight days out from November 3rd in the real 2020. I again I'm glad that she left that sort of open ended quality to the book. And this like we got this approach I thought was really nice because she didn't know when she wrote this book how it was going to end. Like she didn't even know it was what it was going to look like when the book was published. I'm sure this book was finished in early 2020 and it didn't come out until July. So there's so much that she couldn't have foreseen. Right. So I think that she handled that really well.
1: Yeah. I was very happy to be left on a on a happy note. I don't need every book that I read to be left on, like, you know, you know, feeling high in the spirits, but I was very grateful that that this one did it. I think that it was kind of like a roller coaster, right? Like we were, we were going up. And then we had some dips, I would say, with the flashbacks and then some present things that happened, maybe a small little like bunny dip whenever Eartha Kitty was lost, fight with Alec, those types of things, right? And then we took a plunge, right? I think personally from from the stance of Marva whenever she actually ended things with Alec. But I would also say for Duke because I remember him apologizing and being like, I am like, did this happen because of me? And so there's that guilt factor. And then we started creeping back up at at the end, right? I don't think we get to like the point where we were at the beginning, um, but like we definitely didn't end in the valley. (laughs) Um, So it was nice to be left with, I would say hope. If there was anything that came out of that last paragraph, it was hope. Um, And I think that that's something that young voters, um, well, any voters, but especially young voters need, is that you need hope in going to the polls and hoping that you are voting for a better life, more opportunities.
0: Oh, I couldn't have said that better myself. So as you know, typically on the show, we do cover older books, so books from decades gone by. And New Reads November is special because obviously we're looking at new titles in the YA space and talking about kind of what's changed and how far we've come, where we still have to go in the way that we're sharing stories with teens. So I'd love your thoughts on what the voting booth tells you, maybe relative to the books that you read when you were growing up, about the progress that we have made in terms of YA Lit and maybe where else we still have to go in terms of subject matter, representation, all of those kinds of things. What do you think the voting booth says about where we are with
1: YA Lit? I think that it says that like, we are at a point where people are seeing and understanding that representation matters. As I think back to like some of the books I was reading as a child and as a preteen and a teenager, I wasn't reading books about, you know, where the books had characters who were black women, or black girls. Um, that's just not something that I was accustomed to, especially in school. And so, when I wanted to to find that particular character, most of the time it was I had to go find it myself. Number one at the library, but then number two, it was it was more so about civil rights, right? It was these books that took place in the 1960s, 1970s. Which there's nothing wrong with that, right? Definitely important messages, but I think that is so nice to see YA lit that brings together These two black characters, and then it's set in modern times. And we know that it's set in modern times because of the Instagram part that, like, that comes out of all of this. The just the mention of that, you're like, okay, this is modern. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Noted. (laughs) I would love to see YA lit um, that continues right to to represent people, especially. You know, I'm always I'm always going to champion um, and look for black women characters. But people of color in general, and not to the point where, like, it's always about the same topics that people expect. People expect us, right, to always talk about racism. People always expect us to talk about the civil rights. At one point, I think that there was an expectation of, like, you know, there was going to be a talk about slavery. Like, I think about the the Dear America series, and, like, right, when I when I did find one of the Black characters, it was about slavery. And so, right just these characters who are out here living life, telling us about their experiences. And it's not like we have to teach anybody anything, but we are just telling you who we are, how we show up as people in the world.
0: Oh, I love that. And they're getting out the vote. These characters getting out the vote and just living their American lives. Yep. I think that's a great assessment of what this book is telling us about YA Lit in 2020. Other than The Voting Booth, what books have you been reading lately that you would like to recommend to our listeners? They do not have to be YA. I'm sure you have plenty to recommend, but I can't wait to hear <laughs> what your recent faves have been.
1: Um, some of my recent faves. So I recently finished "When No One Is Watching," and um, that's by Aly- Alyssa Cole. I've. I love that one. Um, So fun fact, I used to, I was thinking about being like an urban studies major and the fact that this is a thriller based on gentrification. The dream. Like when you put those two things together, love it. Right now I'm reading Once I Was You. So I've been getting, um, that's by Maria and I hope I'm saying her last name correctly, Hinyosa. But she is a journalist who's written a memoir and I've recently been getting into memoirs. And I think that like this one has been really speaking to me because I... I told you before, like if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, I'd probably be a journalist. <laughs> I've been reading some Octavia Butler, so like I've been on I've been on that kick. Some N.K. Jemison, so the fifth um, fifth season. But I've really just been into some science fiction and it, enjoying it, especially, again, like I said, by by Black women. Um, those have been some of my recent reads. Oh, and then um, right now I'm finishing up, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, because we read Latinx Lit all year round, not just during Latinx Heritage Month. Yes, we do. Well, Kayla, thank you so much for taking the time to
0: talk with me today about the voting booths. It's so much fun chatting with you. I will be thinking of you on real election day. Um, listeners, I'm going to link all of Kayla's recommendations in the show notes for this episode. I will also include a link to the voting booth itself and all of the resources I found about it. And of course, a link to Kayla's bookstagram in case you are not following her over at Book at Queen. She's a great follow. I'm so happy that we found each other in the crazy <laughs> bookstagram <laughs> space. And it was just so fun chatting with you. It's so fun to connect quote unquote, face to face. But I guess this is how we're all connecting anyway. Now,
1: like there's what's the difference between like, we're all just zooming now. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here. This was such a fun, like conversation. So thank you.
0: Thank you. And everybody vote, please. Make like Marva and vote. We are your Marvas today. Please make sure you get your vote in today. Thanks, everybody. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.